I am so excited to be here tonight. I am going to be talking about what would you give? And before I start that, I want to read something, and it's really uh, something related to the last teaching, and I wanted us to read it before we start. So I want you to go to Mark 13, 22 to 30, and if I could ask for you to have homework, I want you to think about reading all of Mark 13 today. And the reason why is because I would say playtime is over. If the people that take one second to listen to the very beginning of my teaching, I will say playtime is over and it's for us to start getting serious about some things going on. So listen to this teaching about this one passage before we start. In verse 22 says, he went on his way, talking about Jesus Christ, through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, with those who are, will, would those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you. I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. My point to you is that Many of us will say, even my daughter was saying the other recently that people were talking about the rapture, they're talking about the end times, all these things. I think we all need to be realizing that things are happening and that the beginning of sorrows are occurring. But we have to understand first comes the rapture, then comes the second coming. And we haven't had the rapture. But tonight, as we talk about what would you give, I really want all of us to think about And this sits with me first. When God gives me something, it sits with me first. And I said to you in the title, what would you give? But then God says, Anita, not only what would you give, what would you give up and what would you give into? And as I started to work on all three of those and God gave me the teaching, it really started to really uh, convict me and touch on some subjects and thoughts in my own lives. Cause you know, when you, I, when I say the words, what would you give? Many of us will think, well, I'm talking about giving money or giving time or giving talents, giving something that I have, but what will I give up is a different kind of giving. What will I give up is something that I may still want to hold on to feelings, emotions, people, people close to me, people that I long for things that are going on that I want to keep. But God says, no, I want you to give that up. I want you to give him up, her up, give that up. And then what will I, what would I give into? You know, we hear that scripture, the sin that so easily besets us. And we don't understand that sometimes we're giving into unforgiveness, giving into jealousy, giving into feelings of envy, giving into feelings of depression, giving into feelings of unsatisfaction, discontent. And we always could say to somebody else, I don't know how they got into that situation, 
but all of us have our own situations. And tonight we're going to look at a compare and contrast between two fathers having to give, having to give up, and in some cases giving in. And not everything giving in is about negative things, but in those three types of giving. So the first example is going to come out of what we will see, which is Abraham and Isaac. And that's one that's typical that many people know about. But I want you to see something. There are two passages of scripture. The first I'm going to focus on really is the New King James Version. But for the first few times in the last year or so, I've been looking at the message. That's the message Bible. And the message Bible starts off Genesis chapter 22, verse one, saying, after all this, and I, and the other comparison in the New King James says, it came to pass. And a lot of times in the scriptures, we hear the words, and it came to pass. But let me explain something. Coming after this is showing that, think about Abraham. He was Abram, then he changed to Abraham. He was told to get out of his country, leave his family. He went places. He had a beautiful wife and Sarai, changed her name to Sarah. And he had to lie to say, she's not my wife. She's my sister. Well, he was telling half the truth. She was his half sister, but he was doing that to protect himself. He got into a situation where Lot was in trouble. He and Lot separated. He found himself having to try to defend with the angels. You know, if you find 10 or 15 or this, and the whole issue with Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife turning into a pill of salt, all this stuff happening. He gets uh, Hagar pregnant to try to satisfy the whole thing about having an heir. And then Sarah gets pregnant. Isaac means laughter. And then Sarah says, get rid of, you know, that other person by the bond woman. She's not gonna have no part of this heir. And then we get to chapter 22. You've had an issue where he's had this fight with Abimelech based on the well, but then you start chapter 22 and it says after all this, which I just kind of routed off. After all this, God tests him and is going to ask him to kill his son, to sacrifice his son. And maybe for those of you to say that's just words you hear, not many of us are willing to sacrifice somebody as precious as our own child and our only child. He's just made Ishmael go away. And so Isaac is all he has. And he's the heir, the son of promise. So here we are. We're going to start at verse one. I'm going to read out of the New King James. And when you see now it came to pass in the other version of the message, it is after all this. And in this version, you're going to hear three times. Here I am. Here I am. But in the other passage, you're going to see I'm listening. And when it comes to us giving and giving up and when we find ourselves giving into things, things that are not healthy for us or good for our relationship with Christ. Is because we stop listening. But here's the scripture says, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, so he had just traveled. And I want you to see that we see no narrative about what was going through Abraham's mind after God told him to go offer his son as a burnt offering, kill his son. 
We don't hear what he thought about at the night. And here's the third day of travel and there's nothing. All we know is he's obedient and he goes. But maybe you should think about the experiences of everything that happened from Genesis 12 all the way to 22. Having a barren wife, now having a baby. Having all of these situations where God has just manifested himself over and over again to protect, to show himself powerful, even when Abraham found himself doing some foolish things. So maybe that's why we don't get any explanation. But it stands to reason, wow, there had to be some things going on in his mind. And a level of trust to see that he's getting ready to put his son on the altar and give his only son that he loves, give up the life of his son and not yield himself, not give into depression and sadness and, and, oh my God, what is God asking me to do? He didn't give into that. It says here, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. He's speaking that in faith. He's been told he's going to give this son as an offering, a burnt offering, burn him up. But he says, the lad and I will come back to you. He's speaking a level of faith, even though he doesn't understand what is going to happen. He's got some level of trust and faith that something's going to be worked out. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son, Isaac. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said a third time, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld. And that's the thing about giving. We want things that we want to withhold from God, whether it's the child or the relationship or the money or the job or the ideas of what we want and desire in this life. We withhold them for God because the fear that he's talking about is a respect a reverence, an understanding that God is more powerful, more divine, more all-knowing than anything that we could say we want. But Abraham has such a presence of knowledge of who God is to him in his life and this error and this, this promise that he's made to him that God says that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time 
out of heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing. What thing? He listened and obeyed God. You have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. He says that twice. Blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand, which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed, obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they rose and went together to Bathsheba and Abraham dwelt in Bathsheba. Now I'm going to read this last part because I want you to see something about the divine nature of God, that God tested him, but God had already set apart for Isaac's wife to be born of Abraham's brother's child, Bethuel. And this passage at the end of this testing shows you that far advanced from whatever we think about God, God already knows our ending even before our beginning. He's eternal. He is all-knowing. So when we start to question, when he says to us, when he speaks to us, and he wants us to listen, to give, to give up, and not to give into things, it's because he knows what he has in store for us. And look what it says in verse 20. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham saying, indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Huz is firstborn, Buzz is brother, Camille, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazel, Pildash, Jolap, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. And Rebekah will become Isaac's wife. Do you see how God is so far ahead of us? We have to trust him. Now, I'm not going to read all of the message version, but I just wanted to say something in caution to you. When you read the New King James Version, you will see that the angel of the Lord, the A in the angel is capitalized. It says the angel of the Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. What I found when I was seeing some of the differences in the message Bible is that it says an angel of God. It doesn't capitalize the things that show that it's deity, that's Jesus Christ. And it references things that make it seem like it's just an angel. Or maybe it's saying similar words, but it's not letting you know clearly, this is the almighty God. And it's saying words, because we know John 1 says that in the beginning, that God, that God created everything. And he's the word, he's the truth. But the way that this frames some things, I just want you to see, let's jump to... The same chapter 22, but this is an, out of the Message Bible. And it says, just then an angel of God called to him out of heaven, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't touch him. Now I know how fearlessly you fear God. You didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son on the altar for me, lowercase m. But then it says in verse 15 to 18, 18, the angel of God. Again, this angel is lowercase. God is capitalized. And me, when it says give to me, it's lowercase. Obeyed me, M-E is lowercase. But then it starts to say, to talk about the word of God, how when Christ says in the other version, he swore by himself. This one says he swore by the word of God. But Christ is the word of God. That's why he swore. It says, I swear God's sure word. Well, God Jesus is the sure word. So I just want you to be careful as you start to read some of these versions. Make sure that you're clear of 
where Jesus is. Now, we're going to have some interesting comparison. Think about this when it comes to the Son of God, the Father of all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, when it came to his only begotten Son, he didn't have a ram. Christ was the Lamb of God to take us away the sins of the earth. He didn't spare his own Son. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was killed. He gave his Son. He gave up. Now, here's the thing I want you to know. When you start to read the crucifixion, do you remember where Christ says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He had never been separated. Jesus had to give up being with the Father because of us, because the wages of sin is death. His sinless death, he had never had anything that he gave into because he never sinned like us. But he had to give up the fellowship, the connection with that small time period because of the wages of sin is death. He had to die and he had to have that separation from his father, the Holy Spirit, for that small time so that he can lay down his life for our sake. But the father gave his only begotten son. Jesus yielded his life for us and he went through the separation, the forsaken of his father for our sins, all of us, but he never gave in to sin like we do. Now here, I'm going to go through some scriptures really quickly because we have a lot of interesting things to do with the comparison in real life of what we're going to see in the scriptures tonight. In Genesis 3.15, we see where Christ from eternity was prophesied that he was going to come and give his life. So Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now go to John 3.16. We all know this by heart. This is giving. This is ultimate giving by the father and the son willing to give his own life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I want you to understand that when we saw Isaac and Isaac and his father going up, he said, father, where's the, where's the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? Where? And Abraham said, God will provide. But Jesus knew he was the offering. Jesus knew from eternity, from Genesis 3.15 and eternity before, he already knew. Isaac didn't know. You don't see that Isaac fought his father tying and bounding him up. Jesus doesn't fight getting on the cross. He knows where he's going. But at this passage of the Garden of Gethsemane, he still has these emotions. And he brought his inner circle. Peter, James, and John, and he asked them to pray, to help him as he went to face this. As he was looking at what he was getting ready to give, it was still tough. But he ultimately says, nevertheless, not my will, but I want you to see what he says in Matthew chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. I'm reading out of New King James. He went up, talking about Jesus, he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. They wanted to give because they loved us that much. Now, I want you to go to John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30, because he wanted to finish. This was not something that could be left undone. 
This is not something that you could say, oh, I'll give a little bit and, get, and give something later or I'll procrastinate. Maybe I'll think about it. No, he knew this all had to be done for the salvation of mankind. So John 19, 28 through 30 says, after this, and I remember where we had in the message Bible in the beginning when we saw Genesis 22, after all this, after he had been taken from judgment hall, after he'd done the miracles, after he'd done all the different things that he did to show who he was, after he fulfilled all the prophecies of his coming, after all this, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And as you see this, I want you to remember something. His first miracle at that wedding in Cana, when his mother said they don't have any more wine, he made the best, finest wine to the point they said, why did you leave the good stuff to the end? But at the end of this natural life where he's deity and man, they give him this sour wine for his thirst. Isn't that something, his first miracle? And the very thing that they give is they give him a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to, to his his mouth. They gave him sour wine. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That's something. When you think, what would you give when you see what he gave to us? Now we're going to go through the gospels and we're going to see about four examples of the same um, it's not the same story. So I need to clarify that we're going to see Jesus Christ before he gets on the cross that you're going to see, he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And you're going to know that when he went to the cross, that Pilate put a sign above his head called the King of the Jews. And the Pharisee says, no, say he claimed. And Pilate said, it says what it says. It's going to stay that way. But if you remember anything about the old Testament, when a King is about to be Come coronated, he gets the anointing of the oil. And as you saw for Saul, as you saw for David, there's an oil pouring on his head. But I want you to see that we're going to see giving by different people in the stories. But I want you to understand that when you see the alabaster oil and you see the pound of spikenard, that there are three different occasions where Christ is going to be anointed with oil. Many times people think it's one time, but it's three different times. And I'm going to show you time frames leading up to the Passover. I'm going to show you different houses because one house is Lazarus' house after he was resurrected in Bethany, six days before the Passover. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who happens to be uh, Martha's sister and Lazarus' sister, she is going to anoint Christ with a pound of spikenard oil ointment oil. And you're going to see that. And we're going to start that in John 12. So you can go to John 12 and we'll do uh, verses one through should have that written, but I think it's one through nine. Anyway. So I want you to see, so you can keep them, keep in mind that we're going to have different gospel writers, but they're going to talk about different days. We're going to see six days here, two days. So you're going to see it's not the same house. The owner of the house is mentioned in these things. One is going to be Lazarus. Another is going to be Simon the leper. 
uh, Simon, who was a tanner who got healed from leprosy. And we're going to see the Pharisee. So we're going to see these different things so that you don't get confused and say, oh, that's the same thing. They're not the same time frame. They're not the same houses and they're not the same, but there are reactions. And some of the same disciples are reacting. And I want you to know that when you see these react reactions, they are given in to their own greed, their own temperament, their own things that are the sin that so easily besets them. And Christ is going to correct them. And because of all of this, even with Judas, when you see Judas, he's the son of perdition. After he gets so indignant about all this money, he's not going to be able to steal from the bag of the collection because it's being poured on Jesus and not sold supposedly for the poor. But he was a thief, as you're going to see here. Let's start at verse one. Then six days before the Passover. So I want you to remember the six days. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus. Now look, this is his feet. You're going to see his head, but this is his feet. Mary anointed his feet, and it says here, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, this Judas Iscariot, he, you know he was a treasurer, he carried the money bag, right? Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii, which is like a year's wages? and given to the poor. But John exposes his heart, exposes the truth. He says this, he said, not that he cared. He's given the impression that it's all about the poor. No. This, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, he gave into his thievery. He gave into his greed. He gave into his larceny. Satan's whole purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He had been stealing. And now he's going to sell Christ for 30 pieces of silver because he's just sick of this whole scenario. And Christ is letting a whole year's wages be put on him to anoint him instead of him getting his money. Judas getting his money. He was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in. Now, that was John 12, 1 through 6. John 11, 1 through 2 also says, so if you're not clear, Mary, it talks about Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus. Now, that's to make sure that you don't get it twisted. So we know Mary was one of the people that anointed Jesus's feet and dried his feet with his hair. Now I want you to go over to, uh, let's go to Mark 14. We're going to start at verse one, because we said six days. So that's six days out before the Passover. Now we're two days. It was, it says at verse one says after two days, it was the Passover. So it's not the same situation, not the same place, not the same time. It was two days and the feast of unleavened bread and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany, he's still in Bethany for this time, right? He's in Bethany six days out. Now he's in Bethany two days out. 
And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came. It doesn't give the name. Last time was Mary, but this is an anonymous woman. A woman came having an alabaster flask. The last was a pound of spikenard ointment. But this alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard, then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. The first time was feet, now it's his head. But there were some, so before it was Judas, but this same some, but there were some who were indignant among themselves. They were giving into indignant, being indignant, upset, angry, frustrated, mad. And said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? They just seen it happen six days. And now two days before the Passover, it's happening again. This is a full year's wages. And the thief is complaining because now he's lost it one time and now it's a second time. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always and whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then it says in verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest. He'd had enough. The son of perdition, the son of the devil had had enough. He went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. He gave into him. The woman gave something precious and costly to her. She gave up almost a year's wage that she had been pouring that ointment in, but she gave it up for her savior's burial to love and to share with him. She didn't give in to, oh, I can use it for something else. She didn't give in to all that she could. She gave it because she loved him. Judas was given money to betray him. Judas was willing to give up Jesus and betray him. Judas gave in to his greed to betray him. Satan wants to give everything that will destroy anything when it comes to glorifying Christ and allowing you and I to have a personal, committed relationship with Jesus. Let's go to another passage, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Now we're at the Pharisee's house. We were at Lazarus' house, Mary poured on his feet, dried with her hair. We were at Simon the leper's, Simon who was a, um, a tanner, who was a leper that was healed. And we saw this unnamed woman poured on his head. Now we're at a Pharisee's house with another woman. It's different, different locations, different times and different activities. But this is again going to be on his head. Starting with verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He was willing to give him a meal. But we're going to see some giving up and some giving in by this Pharisee. 
And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, behind him at his feet, weeping. The other story didn't talk about the crime, but did talk about him putting her putting the oil on his head. But this woman was behind him crying and weeping. A sinner who found out where he was and came. And even though she was a sinner coming to a Pharisee's house, it didn't matter. She wanted to get to Jesus. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Mary poured the ointment on his feet, but this woman's tears were at his feet, cleaning his feet to all the tears, the hot tears she was having with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She first had her tears wipe his feet, used her hair, and then she put the ointment on. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, she, he saw her crying. He had no compassion over her. He just wanted to come and start to criticize if this is a prophet, he would know what sinner this was. If, if, it's a question in his mind, if, he said to himself, now he didn't say it out loud. He said to himself, Jesus know, know his thoughts. If this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. Jesus can be touched by us all. So if you think you're not worthy because you have gotten this habit, you've done this conviction and felony and murder and all this stuff, and you're, you have all this stuff that you're saying, I'm not worthy. None of us is worthy. He came because he knew all of us were sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is righteous but him. So he was okay and embraced her touching him, loving him, weeping for him because she knew he loved her. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, now he said it to himself, but Jesus is going to respond by saying something to Simon and making this man hopefully hear the wrong of his internal heart. He is giving into his prejudice, his superiority, his, oh, I'm better than any of these sinners. He's a sinner. He has forgotten that he's a sinner. He's thinking he's so holier than thou. But she recognizes her place, like all of us, that we are sinners who need the free gift of the love of Christ. And so Christ says, and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and these other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning, he said that on behalf of the Pharisee who didn't recognize that he's a sinner. And he didn't understand why someone who would be so kind 
and loving would be at Jesus' feet, grateful that he had come for all of our sins. Hers, mine, yours. And he's, and after he said, you judged rightly, then turning toward the woman, because she was behind him doing all this to his feet. He turned toward the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? Because you all don't like to see sinners. So Pharisee, I'm going to let you know. I want you to see that I've turned toward her. Simon, do you see her? Because in the future, Simon's going to have to see her because he is going to be the lead disciple. He's got to see all the sinners. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many. He's not saying she doesn't sin. He's not saying I haven't sinned. You haven't sinned. But she says, which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. That's speaking to the Pharisee. That's speaking to anybody that thinks, oh, I don't do what they do. A they. We're all sinners. There's no little big. We're all sinners. One sin is too many. One sin takes us to hell. One sin requires Jesus Christ. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. It upset me because we have a situation. <clears throat> the churches are empty because people think they got to be worthy to come in church because we've gotten the air of superiority with our fancy clothes and our, we know the scriptures and we can tout them. And we make people who are what we say, big sinners feel like they can't come because they can't measure up. And if we could just be like Christ, oh, would we find that they would want to come to our houses to hear the message of Christ. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins, sins with an ass, guys? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, Matthew 26, 1 through 16 is similar to what we've already been reading. But here, I want to read this last passage because you just saw the piece where Jesus says the same title, but it's about killing him. That's the start that the Pharisees and the disciples, even after he says, I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to be killed. That after hearing what Christ is about to go through, our attention span can be turned to something to start criticizing about somebody 
using a, a year's worth of ointment on Jesus. Jesus is just saying, I'm about to be killed. And when he speaks to us about the future, he gives us understanding of his word. He gives, he is the word. We can get distracted, family. We can get distracted about what we want, what we don't want to give up, what we want to continue to give into. And all along, he's trying to share with us, I'm about to give you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus. But we still get focused on the stuff that we want to hold to, hold on to in this world. And so I'm going to read this passage, but then I'm going to quickly remind us about the rich young ruler, because that's what's happening today. So Matthew 26, verse 1 through 16 says, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover begins in two days and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. At the same time, the leading priests and elders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, plotting how to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may, you know, may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. You already saw that I just read the same passage, but I just want you to see the distinction. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. Now, we saw feet, didn't we? We saw feet. Now we see head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. Now, the last passage we saw, that we saw, that was the Pharisee that got upset to say he didn't even know who's touching it. But when we saw Simon's, the whole thing was that about money. Christ has said, I'm going to be killed. I'm getting ready to be killed, but they're indignant about the beautiful alabaster that was broken, that was put on Jesus' head. And that money could have been for the poor or whatever. But Jesus, they wasted it on you. The man that has been saving people's lives, resurrecting the dead, feeding the 5,000, all this stuff, going to die soon. But it's too much to see more ointment poured on him. It's just too much. We got better things to do with things of wealth and worth, and we don't want to put it on you, Jesus. They said this. They were indignant. These are the disciples that have walked with him for three and a half years. They were indignant. They had a problem. They were giving in to being indignant of why is this being wasted on Jesus? This should go to the poor, but not on Jesus. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste. I'm not making this up. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Mark just said it in, in the verse 14, chapter 14, verse 15. Same old thing. This 300 denarii, this over 300 denarii is such a big deal. Your paycheck for the year is such a big deal. That's why some of y'all can't come to church because you got to go to work. You got to make the paycheck. You got to take care of your bills. You can't think about Jesus. You don't want to waste your time with Jesus. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? And then he goes on to talk about you always have the poor. And then you see Jesus, Judas, 
giving in to his evil and going to do what we saw before him going to and conspiring for the 30 pieces of silver. I want you to go to Mark 10. This will be the last scripture. Mark 10 verses 20 through 24. When we see the rich young ruler, he wants to be puffed up and praised for all that he's done. Just like the Pharisees, they want to be praised for all that they've done. But we see one thing you lack. And in the 21st century, 2024, there's a lot of one thing we lack. What would we give? What would we give up? What are we giving into? We're giving into the greed of what we see, the American dream. We're giving into the greed of our bank accounts, of our relationships, of everything that we desire. What we don't want to give up is our people, our habits, our longings, our desires. And I'm convicted as much as anybody because there are things that I'm longing for. But what if God says that I have to say, here I am, and I'm saying I'm listening, and he says, no, Nita, you're not having that. Give it up. Give it up the desire. Give it up. Give me your life and trust me that I know you're ending before you're beginning. I know what I purpose for your life. So when we see and we hear God, we see his word, we experience his Holy Spirit speaking to us, we need to obey, not walk away like we're going to see and, and recognize what the rich young ruler does, which happens every day. In verse 20, it says, Jesus it says, Jesus in this exchange with the rich young ruler running after him, and now he's speaking to Jesus. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. We lack. Do we need to have Christ have this conversation with each and every one of us to say, you lack one thing and expose what we're giving into, expose what we're willing not to give up, expose what we're not willing to give. All three of these are right in this passage. All three of these can be seen in the stories that we saw out of the gospel about the anointing of oil on our Christ. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me disheartened out of the abundance of our heart, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks and our mouth shows what we give to our heart shows what we love. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. He was disheartened because his heart of love, his heart of what he wanted to follow, what he wanted to depend on, what he wanted to trust and fear, remember the fear of God that we heard about in the very beginning where Abraham was said by the angel of the Lord, I know that you fear God. You're not willing to withhold even your only son. But this rich young ruler, like many of us, rich and poor, don't want to give up and give to Christ. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, to us today, how difficult 
it will be for those who have wealth. The wealth is not the evil. It's the loving of the wealth more than you love God, more than you love the eternal, more than you love to understand that that is not going with you. You are not taking an ATM machine with you. You're not taking a bank account or a 401k or your wealth or your yachts or all these things. You are not taking that with you. You came into this world naked and you are going to return back to God with not one thing that you are taking except for your salvation or your damnation. One or the other. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And I asked you to go for your homework again and read Mark 13. People are pretending. There are lots of people who are attenders of church, members of church, name on the roll, and they don't love Christ. They want to be like the rich young ruler. I've done all this stuff that looks on the outside good, but God is going to say one thing you lack. And that's a true intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And the, the counterfeiters will be known by God. We may not know because it looks like, you know, on the outside, y'all got it all together. But God, when you get around people that are anointed with the love of God, the peace of God, the spirit of God, there's no counterfeit. But there's too many that are just phoning it in. They think that it's going to all work out for their good. And God is going to say, like he said in Mark 13, he's going to give a rude awakening, saints of God. Because like he said, I don't know where you come from. You ain't coming from me. I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. And I know you're not coming in my heaven because the door is going to be locked and you can't come in. And like them virgins that were unprepared, open up. God's going to say it's too late. And now is the time for the salvation for your souls and my souls. It says the word of God says the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Let's pray to the Lord of the harvest that there will be more laborers. Saints of God, we got to pray. We got to pray. I pray that the Lord has touched your heart and you've heard something that will be that you will seek after the Lord and we will give and we will give up some things and we will pray not to give into some things. What would you give? I love you and Lord willing, I'll see you next time. God bless you.